Hello and welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study from the Rick and Bubba Studios. So glad you joined us. If you joined us for the very first time and, and someone has sent you this or you've discovered this, it, it happens uh, most every Wednesday with very few exceptions. Uh, we meet here and we right now we're walking through uh, the Gospel of John, but uh, we do different curriculum um, you know, during different times of the year. We're going to stay in the Gospel of John until we finish it, however long that takes. Today we'll be in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 12. If you want to turn there uh, in your Bible or something with your Bible on it. Uh, you can also go back to BurgessMinistries.com. You can go there, uh, click on listen if you'd like to go back and pick up maybe uh, even uh, you know sessions of this particular Bible study that you may have missed. Or you can go all the way back uh, for the last three and a half years. There's a number of Bible studies available for you there as a resource. Uh, I do want to tell you some things that are coming up. Uh, be headed to Baker, Florida this Saturday, the Bold Men's Conference, and honored to be there with Ed Litton. He will be there and uh, also... Uh, uh, We've got Amir Kaner will be speaking there. I'll, I'll also be there with some, uh, with, um, uh, who else is going to be there with me as well? It's, it's Kaner and it's, um, and I can't remember the, the other person who will be there with me, but Ed Litton there, I know for sure. So looking forward to that coming up. Uh, oh, Fred Luter out of New Orleans will be there. That's who it is. So that'll be coming up. If you want tickets to that, Baker, Florida, um, Pilgrim Rest Baptist Church. Looking forward to seeing all of you. And then make a note now if you're in South Alabama, the Pursuit Men's Conference is coming up February 21st and 22nd. Really excited about uh, about this because this one is, you know, with themanchurch.com. We're bringing in all of our guys. Michael Adler and Chris Adler will be part of the of the praise and worship team. Rich Wingo will be speaking. Bill Searcy, all from this Wednesday Bible study. Also, Brody Kroll will be there speaking as well. I'll be speaking and emceeing the evening. So if you'd like to find out about that uh, or any of the upcoming events, go to rickandbubba.com under events or Burgess Ministries under events as well. And of course, themanchurch.com goes live on March the 2nd. And this is a resource for any church or small group uh, that is looking to have an operating men's ministry that has a discipleship strategy to take on the disease, not just the symptoms of men who have lost their way. Either a man is lost or he's a spiritual infant. And we hope to provide you some resources to come alongside the local church or your community group and help you with that. If you're an individual man, uh, also you can go there and find some of our other resources, which are some of our 40-day devotionals and other resources from other uh, men who have written great books it might be a benefit to your personal walk as well. So let's, let's open up in, in a word of prayer, and we'll jump right into our message today. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the grace and mercy you've afforded all who are listening, watching, and, and in the room. But may we never take that grace and abuse it. Uh, help us, Lord, to, to not just be uh, redeemed by you, but also to become that new creation, to truly be born again. And Lord, today as we reflect on your triumphant entry, as you start the process of going to the cross to redeem us, may we have a heart of gratitude today. In your holy name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the things you're looking at, because now Jesus is about to take a shift, and, and we're going to stop talking about the hour is in the future, and now he's going to tell you that the hour is here. It's, it, 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 there's a trigger in the rest of chapter 12 where Jesus says, I now start the process of going to the cross. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed this week, and certainly we talked about, I think we need to cover it in here in case you missed it. You know, when you, when you have, you know, these high-profile deaths like Kobe Bryant, sad, sad situation uh, that he and his daughter, and, and there's, there's always this immediate, almost just like panic to find out if you can find out anything, whether this person went to heaven or hell. And then you start the whole process. People say, well, he had this conversation. He went to mass here. I know that he did this interview there. And the thing that, that God really pressed on me, and I certainly hope we spend eternity with Kobe Bryant and his, his daughter and all those that were on the helicopter. But the thing that hit me so loud and clear, here's an idea. Why don't we be just as concerned about whether somebody's going to heaven or hell while they're still alive? Right. Why they're still alive? Amen. You know, because as soon as we hear somebody's dead, you know, you know what really hits us is, well, it's over. There's, there's no opportunity now. So what do we do? We panicked to try to make sure that we didn't maybe not do our job. Did anybody care about whether Kobe went to heaven or hell while he was alive? I'm sure so. I mean, I'm sure some people did, but I mean, did you? Did, did I? And, and so why, why don't we kind of like today when we're going to talk about here comes, here, here comes Jesus saying it is on. I'm going to the cross to redeem you. Why don't we have some excitement that Jesus has already completed this and there's a world dying going to hell. And, and you know, it's just like th this term. I talked about this at the Mississippi Evangelism uh, Conference on Sunday night. You know, this term, you ever had anybody ask you if you're an evangelical Christian? What other kind of Christian is there? 
what, what, what is it called? What, what is this other kind of Christian? Because I've looked at Scripture, and the only version of a Christian I see is an evangelical one. Because every single Christian has been told to go and to make disciples and to teach the world all that he has commanded us. Uh, and then, we're, he, he, then before he ascends, right before he ascends, he tells us what? For us to go into Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, to the ends of the earth, telling people what he's done. So can somebody tell me what other version of Christian there is that isn't evangelical? I would say that would be, it's almost like asking somebody, are you an obedient Christian or a disobedient Christian? Uh, if, you, if you look at Scripture, that's not my opinion, that's, a, that's Scripture's opinion. So now, since I've been up on my soapbox, we're just getting started. I mean, we're just a few minutes in. Uh, so I may pass out today right here if I stay at this pace. So, all right, so the Gospel of John chapter 12. Y'all can tell I've been, I've been at the Holy Spirit, man. I've been in His presence all weekend long, and I'm ready to go. Uh, all right, so let's go to ch verse 12. Verse 12, uh, when we left last week, we know there was a plot to kill Lazarus because Lazarus is, a, is an inconvenient truth for those who want to go against Christ and try to say that he's just another one of these people that's come along claiming to be Messiah. Uh, you know, when he raised Lazarus from the dead and they're having dinner, that's a biggie. And we talked about all those things last week. Now, here's what's interesting about the triumphant entry. I mean, here, here he comes. He's now, he's now going to come in to, to Jerusalem. This is when, you know, we, we have a lot of accounts in the four Gospels, but there's very few that appear in every single Gospel. This appears in every single Gospel. Now, this is one of these moments in, in history where it's really, a, a, and I would encourage you to do this, if you have something to write, write this down if you have something to write with, because we can't go through all the Gospels versions of this in our time today. But you will see Matthew's account of this in, in chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. You will see Mark, who's actually interviewing Peter, so it's really Peter's account, uh, and, and Mark 11, 1 through 11. And then Luke uh, chapter 19, 29 through 38. So that's Matthew 21, 1 through 11, Mark 11, 1 through 11, and then Luke 19, 29 through 38. So, so they all talk about this event, and they'll give you different details that go, goes with it. And John, of course, is going to focus on what he's focused on his entire gospel. Here's Jesus. Here's who he is. Here's why he came. So it, it starts out, and it says, the next day, this is in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, historians think this is the Sunday of the Passion Week. Uh, and, and this is some things that I found to be really, really fascinating because it talks about the crowd was, was big. It was a very big crowd, and most of it is made up of pilgrims that are making that pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. When he talks about the feast, they're really talking about Passover. And so there's, there's mobs of people, and you're saying, now look, this is going to blow your mind because it, it blew my mind. I know some of you right now are kind of getting a vision of, of thousands of people. Let me, let me take that to another level because Josephus, who was a historian of, of that time, in his writings, he's talking about a Passover crowd that was right before the Jewish war in A.D. 66 that lasted to 70. And he estimated the crowd for that particular Passover at 2.7 million people. So, so don't picture a small crowd, you know, and it doesn't, maybe that was a very popular Passover, but it, but it was a big crowd, um, regardless of whether it was as big as the one that Josephus talked about or not. So also, they think it was made up, if you looked at, look at what, what it made up of, of the dynamic, you, you had people from Galilee who were very familiar with Jesus and, and, uh, and his ministry, but others were making their way there that, 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 that had one thing on their mind, Lazarus. They had heard the account that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Some of them know it happened because they were there. Some of them are familiar with Jesus because they're from Galilee. But then there's others that just said, I heard about it. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming here. I, I'm not from where he's from. I'm not that familiar with him. But somebody said that he raised somebody from the dead. So this Passover crowd, certainly they're coming on their normal pilgrimage for, for the feast and for Passover. But this one had extra hype because Jesus' celebrity was through the roof. 
which is how he designed it. That's how the father designed it, because this is going to be his, his big moment when he's trying to say, this is who I am and this is why I have come. So understand this is a very large crowd and there's a lot of hype. Have you ever been in a really large crowd and the electricity is almost, you almost start getting a little concerned that, hey, this is really people, there's a, fer, a, 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 a fever pitch in here. And this is kind of what they were describing during this time. So we go to 13. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now this, we're going to get a little deep here, so just kind of stay with me and walk with me. First of all, in this part of the world, even if you go there now, palm branches are everywhere. So they're, they're easy to find. And in, this, in the beginning, most of the time when this would, would go on, it was really more of a, a patriotic or a nationalistic thing. Of the, they're looking for the military, the political Messiah, you know, that we've heard Jesus try to clarify throughout Scripture. So, so usually this was, this was like, here comes our messianic liberator arriving on the scene. If you, if you don't, you know, to, to kind of back that up, make a note of what we've already studied. And that's John 6, 14 and 15. Remember Jesus having to deal with this, trying to say, whoa, whoa, th- this, this is not what I'm doing. So he, I'm going to show you where uh, Scripture tells us that he took that, attitude and took it away by the things that he did. But anyway, so Hosanna, now this comes from a Hebrew word that means give salvation now. Give salvation now, if you go back to its original origin. And it was, it was a term of acclamation that came from Psalms, write this down, Psalms 118, 25. Psalms 118, 25. And this was extremely familiar in the culture because children had learned to sing Psalms 113 through Psalms 118. Uh, everybody in the Jewish uh, culture was very familiar with these Psalms and they sang them all the time and they would sing out Hosanna uh, out of Psalms 118.25. And then if you look at at Psalms 20, uh, uh, verse 26 of Psalms 118, it goes even further to the next thing that they say. So look at 25 and 26 of Psalms uh, 118.23. So here's, here's 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And then look at, the, at 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So the things they're saying is all coming from Psalms 118. And, uh, but, but notice when it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord in Psalms 118, they're not talking about a blessing in the name of the Lord. Sometimes they would say this phrase about anyone who was making their pilgrimage to Passover. They would say, blessed is Danny or blessed is Benny. Uh, blessed is, is any of us that comes in the name of the Lord go with you. And that's what, but this time they make a shift. This time they make a shift. This is not what they're saying. And they show you that by adding blessed is the king of Israel. So, so they're, not, they're not just saying this is just anybody that we're saying, may the Lord be with you or may the Lord go with you. No, we're making a different declaration here because Psalms 118 would just, would, if you just left it there, it could be interpreted that way. But these people want you to know, we're going to let you know who we mean when we say he. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And we don't mean Rick and we don't mean just anybody. We're saying blessed is the king of Israel who comes in the name of the Lord. They're declaring him king. Now, they don't have it all figured out as we find out because we go from all this stuff about Jesus being this. And he certainly is gracious and he certainly is loving. And we praise the Lord for that or we have no hope. But when we turn him into this passive hippie that was never controversial at all, and uh, as a matter of fact, I, I, I was laughing at uh, Michael Catt, who was speaking at the evangelism conference. And so as we started to do that this weekend, we all start peppering each other with text and cutting up and all this. And they're asking me if I'm going to be throwing softballs that they have to clean up after me on Monday and all this. And I asked Michael Catt, I said, are you going to present the hippie Jesus? He said, yeah, I'm going to use something really hippie. Like when he said that, that these people were what, like whitewashed, tombs and their real father was the devil. He said something really soft like that. But, but anyway, Jesus goes from we love you, we love you to we want to kill you, want to kill you by the end of the week. So, so this, this, this is starting out one way, but we're going to go another way. 
as the week continues. But at this moment, he is declaring who he is, and we can unpack that a little more for you. So in 14 and 15, here's what he says. So you understand they are declaring that they think this is the new king of Israel. This, this is our messianic king. So, so Jesus says, it, uh, it says here that Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written in Zechariah, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So we know from the other gospels, if you go to those others I gave you, that Jesus actually arranged to ride this donkey colt. Now John leaves that part out. Maybe, maybe he thinks we already know that or it's been covered somewhat else. But we know if you have Zechariah 9.9, we know that Jesus is fulfilling the, the, the prophecy from Zechariah because we know that it's a cult. Mark, Mark tells us that it was actually a cult that is unbroken. John doesn't really want to cover that with us, but it means that Jesus arranged it. But this is not a cult that had ever been ridden before. So there's really something supernatural about that. When the king of kings gets on top of this colt, he says, I'm good, and they ride. Of course, he can, you know, raise Lazarus from the dead. He can break a colt without ever having to go through the process. But anyway, John doesn't specify when Jesus actually got on the animal. But, um, you know, there's, there's some people that say, well, he walked a little way, and then he got the colt. John doesn't give us those specifics. The other gospels seem to suggest that maybe. But keep in mind, he gets on this colt to fulfill prophecy, but there's another reason. He's on the cult to say, this military concept you guys have, it's wrong. I'm clarifying that I am not a nationalistic, political, military messiah coming to overthrow the Romans or to do anything military at all. Because the cult and a king being on a cult means he's riding into a city saying peace. It's almost like having a flag up going, I'm coming in peace. He didn't ride a war horse in. You know, if he rode a war horse in, that was typical of a king saying, I'm coming in here and we're going to fire everybody up and we're going to defeat our enemies. No, what Jesus is trying to show the world is I'm not coming for a military victory. I'm coming for victory over sin. I'm your savior. And so I'm on a cult to show you that I'm not a military leader. This political thing you're you're churning up, that's not who I am. Now, of course, we all know that when he comes the second time, he's not coming as the lowly servant and riding in on a colt. We know he is going to come in on a war horse, and we know that he is going to. Nobody will wonder, I wonder if Jesus is back. And, and all this, we talked about that before. But this is the first time that he's saying, I'm going to the cross. So he's taking away the concept. You know, like we talk about all the time, you can't say that Jesus was just a good man and a good teacher. Jesus is very good at taking these options away that he doesn't want you to go down because he said that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So if he's a liar, then he's not a good person. He's certainly not some teacher you will listen to. So he's once again saying, if anybody's wondering if I'm a military leader, I'm going to get on this cult, and you know what this means. I'm fulfilling prophecy, but at the same time, I'm taking away any of you who think I'm here as a military messiah that has some, some political figure. That's not what it's about. So if you, if you go to verse 16, listen to what it says next. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and, and, and had been done to him. John does these things throughout his gospel. Remember last week we were kind of cutting up with the fact that John wants us to know that he knows how bad Judas is. He can't help it. He can't just tell us history. He's got to let you know, and I'm going to tell you where this guy ends up. This guy's, this guy's a problem because I already know what happens. Well, now you know what he's saying. He's letting us know. That um, if you look at John uh, 2.22, make make a note of that. Jesus' death and resurrection clarified all the things they misunderstood. That's what he's saying. He said, look, right now we don't know what's going on. I'm just letting you know what happened. But when he goes to the cross and he comes out of that tomb and he comes back, we go, rebuild the temple in three days. Got it. Oh, I know now why you came in on that colt. Oh, I get it. He's just saying that we all had clarity about things we didn't understand once Jesus had gone to the cross and he rose from the dead. We all got it. We understood that he'd been talking about this the whole time we'd been with him. So the one thing that I took away from that, do we have that same attitude? Have we got clarity about everything that we see going up? Do we understand why Jesus came and and what he did and, and what the resurrection means? 
I mean, are we still living in a life of confusion? One of the things that I know in my own life where I stayed into an area of confusion and gray areas, it wasn't because Scripture had not clearly told me what was going on. I just didn't know the Scriptures. You know, anyway, you know, some of this stuff's kind of hard to understand, and certainly it can be. Don't misunderstand me. There's, there's things that as you grow and you be sanctified, you learn over time. But the basic concepts, like we're talking about, you know, when he tells us to go out, and, and you know, he's, when he gets to the end of all this, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, which I can do from time to time. When he starts this go out and teach uh, the world all that I have commanded you, teach them to obey the same things, do we agree that's impossible to do if we don't know what he commanded us? I mean, that's impossible. Go out and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? But he's told us what it means. So, you know, and, and again, we're not talking about that everybody in this room has to get up and do a dissertation on deep theology, and I've got a three-point sermon that you're just not going to believe. No. Certainly people are called to do that, and there's people who are incredibly gifted at doing that, and they are playing their role. And if God calls you to that, that can be your role. But everybody in this room has been told directly, has, have I come into your life, talking about Jesus, has Jesus come into your life, and has it radically changed your life? And can you go tell somebody that you were this way before you encountered Jesus, and then after you encountered Jesus, you were this way? I just finished an email about an hour and a half ago of a guy who said, I don't understand any of this. And I went back and I said, because I'm in the Bible Belt, so goofy me. I said, oh, so are you struggling with your faith? No, I don't have a faith. Stupid me. Come again? Are, are you saying you've never had a salvation experience? Don't you know you're emailing somebody in Alabama? That, there's no such thing. And, uh, and he comes back, and I feel like an idiot. Like the time that Jesus finally had to say to the guys, hey, Lazarus is dead. I've tried all these analogies. Y'all not getting it. Lazarus is dead. <laughs> he finally said, I don't know how to be saved. Or he didn't even say saved. I, don't, I have no experience of knowing that I am going to heaven. That's kind of how he worded it. So then I started at the very beginning. But, but what, see, this is a guy who doesn't even know why we need Jesus. What is all this? Now, I don't know where he was from, but what if, what if right now this guy has contacted me and I'm doing this? Ugh. Guess I'll forward that on to my pastor. He didn't have anything to do today. <laughs> he, he's got all kinds of time to shut down and take somebody on why we have to be reconciled and sin. No, he's got all the time in the world. He didn't have anything to deal with. No one's beating on his door and asking him questions. So you know why? That's not my pastor's responsibility. That's mine. You, we can't spend our life, guys, ushering around trying to, trying to frantically find our pastor every time somebody has a question about the Bible. That's not what we're called to do. We're supposed to be going there for our pastors and our leaders to continue to grow us and feed us and worship on what we already know, but then being taught things that we don't know. But as far as understanding the gospel, we're supposed to know that right now. Why would, why would Jesus give us an assignment that we're not ready to do? He expects us to know how to do it. You know, can you tell people why they need to be saved? Can you tell people how to be saved? Can you point into your life and say, here's what it did to me? That's it. Just, you know, like I say all the time, I mean, we would knock each other down if we, if we saw, uh, you know, a good movie or ate at a great restaurant or, wow, did you see the game last night? No, I didn't see it. Oh, let me tell you, because these things excite us. But look, do me a favor. Don't let me go to hell while I ate, a great re ate at a great restaurant, saw some highlights of a great game. Okay, I don't really, that, that's not going to help me much. Go ahead and make sure I'm saved first, then let's talk about the game. Then let's talk about the, where, the, where the good restaurants are in town. Don't we always tell people about things we care about? Does this not excite you? It's only the most important thing in, on the planet. And, and so it, it ought to excite us. And if it doesn't excite you, I'm going to go ahead and tell you as your brother, something's wrong. And it's not because Jesus just isn't all that intriguing. You don't have a relationship with him because to know him is to, is to be excited about him. He's really that great. Look, and if you don't think you have that kind of relationship, I'll right here. If you, if you need to talk to me, I'm right here. Okay, I'll help you because let me tell you something. I know the difference between me before Jesus and me after Jesus. I mean, we were talking about this, about the shuttle yesterday. How embarrassing. Everybody knew where they were in 1986. I had no idea where I was. I didn't know Jesus then. I said, I probably wandered out into the light about 2 p.m. and said, what happened? 
You know, so, so there's a, I mean, I can tell you Rick before Jesus and Rick after Jesus, there's no comparison. What about you? What has changed in your life that shows that everything Jesus is talking about right now has actually taken place? So, they, John's telling us in 16, we understood all this stuff after the resurrection. Hey, the resurrection was a game changer. And it ought to be for us as well. So let's go to 17 and 18. Verse 17 and 18. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. Okay, that's a pretty straightforward one there. We got two crowds. We got people who saw the Lazarus miracle and the others who had heard about the incident. And they know that that's a sign. I love what he's telling us. It just, it just confirms what I just said. I saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and I can't stop talking about it. I'm bearing witness everywhere I go, and other people are asking me, were you there? I was there. So what, what is that? How do we apply that to our life? You know Jesus? Yeah. Tell me what happened. How did he change your life? What am I supposed to do? I wasn't there. I've only heard about it. So you've never experienced Jesus. No, I haven't, but I've heard about it. Can you tell me what happened? Are you a first-hand account of the power of redemption? Not a second, not a third, not a heard about it. Are you a person who said, oh, no, I was there. I was there when Jesus changed me. I can tell you exactly what happens. Nobody had to tell me about it. It's happened to me. I experienced it. It is different, isn't it? I remember one time David Nasser made this great analogy. He said he went to see Saving Private Ryan. And he went to see it. And he said that scene where they're coming onto the beach, which is just terrific. And, and, you know, let's face it. The people who made that movie had a big budget. I mean, they did a really good job of putting you there. It, 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 was, it was close. But you know when David Nasser said he knew they had done a pretty good depiction of it? There were two old men sitting in front of him and they were crying. You know what they said? That's exactly like it was. And he was like, what? We were there. We stormed the beach. Everything you're watching, he said, they're crying. It was a little different, see, for David, who wasn't there. He was moved by it. But the guys who were there, and now they're saying, oh, I can tell you, that's accurate. That's accurate. Yeah, a little Hollywood magic there. Let me tell you how it was because I was there. So do you tell people about Jesus, like a third-hand account? Or do you talk to people like you've truly experienced it? Oh, I... I was changed, and he's continuing to change me. I can't even explain it. You know what I love? I love watching Jesus as I continue to pursue him, take away my desire for things that I didn't even know. I, there's things now I don't have to go, I'll tell you what, i got to do better about that. I just keep on pursuing him because that gets into legalism and, and, and a code of conduct. I've just noticed the more that I pursue him, the less I have a desire for, the, for things that are sinful. It's not, it's not legalism. It's not code of conduct. As he continues to sanctify me, his presence in my life gives me desires for some things and no desire for others. I'm not, not, I haven't reached perfection, but I'll tell you what, I'm on the road of progress. I promise you that. Not because of me, not because I have some more self-control than you do or more devotion than you do. I'm just telling you, Jesus is that powerful. All I did was do what he said to do. Pursue me. Seek me, you'll find me. And then when you find me, I change things. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. So now let's look at 19. So in 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world's gone after him. This is the guy that's always at the meeting who can't wait to give you I told you so. Remember what the meeting was about? We got to kill this guy. Easy. We don't have to kill him. He'll come and go just like everybody else. Let's just lay back. Let's don't cause trouble. He'll fade away like all the others who have come before him. And this person, whoever, whoever this Pharisee is, was the person at the meeting said, we better do something. You ever been that guy? You ever had the chance to say, guys, if we do this, I'm telling you what's going to happen. And then nobody listens to you and it happens. I wish that didn't feel as good as it does. You know what I mean? But, well, I... Uh, I love when somebody says, I, Rick, I, I, I guess you told us. Well, I'm glad you said it so I didn't have to because I sure was ready to. You know what I mean? But uh, see, one day Jesus will be so powerful, I want him to do that. But anyway, not there yet. But anyway, so, but, but no, so what, what this guy's saying is this plan's not working. Why do you think that John puts this down? 
they're going to kill Jesus. This is the, this is the shift. Hey, we can't. What we're, this just letting him go on. And I love how he exaggerates. The whole world's going after him. You know, hyperbole. We still do that today, don't you? Everybody in the whole wide world is going after Jesus. Well, that's, no, they're not. Jesus is, is not even being known by the whole wide world yet. The whole world's going after him. And so he's using a little hyperbole there, but um, he is making one point that is true. The support for Jesus is getting stronger. And you know what the religious leaders of the day are starting to get? These crowds are getting scary. These people, if these people get organized and they decide we're the problem, we're going to be done. This is getting too big. This, this, this is something we're going to have to do something about. And also, they're, going, they're saying that the plan we're doing now is not working. Now, when they say the whole world has gone after him, this next step says, well, this is a game changer coming, and that's the Greeks. That's a game changer coming. Look, look, and it's also a game changer for Jesus. He's, he's looking from the Father on the timeline, and when these Greeks show up, it's on. He knew he needed to do the entrance into Jerusalem. He knew he had to get the colt out. He did all that. He's fulfilling prophecy, but he's still waiting from his Father to say, is this the hour? Is the hour still in the future? And then the Greeks show up, and we'll talk about that a little bit. So in 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Now this, this is important. Uh, the Gentiles will trigger Jesus' announcement of the hour. Uh, see, they do represent the whole world. See, up to this point, it has mainly been uh, a conversation with the Jewish people. And the Jewish people up to this point have said, we're the chosen people and the Gentiles are not. We're in, they're out. I don't know how many Gentiles we got in the room, but I think it's a pretty big number. This is a big day for us here, okay? Because the way the Jewish people saw us, and they thought this scripture was confirming it, we're done. We have no hope because we're dirty, mongrel Gentiles. They called us dogs, okay? That's the analogy they would use about the Gentiles. And, and Jesus has said a few things that keeps showing you what he's going to do. But this was so, remember, this is so ingrained and the Jewish people, that even Peter continued to struggle with it. Remember we talked about that when we, when we studied the, the, the story of when Paul had to go to Peter, who, as a Pentecost, he looks really solid, and he's really rolling, but then when he gets to this racial stuff, he's still struggling. And can I tell some of y'all in here, y'all got to get past this racial stuff. This is what's keeping you from being completely devoted to Jesus. It's a sin that is just keeping you from moving on. I, I, look, you, you, your parents might have been racist. Your grandparents might have been racist. You may, have, you may have grown up and all you've ever heard is that somehow the color of your skin makes you either better or worse. You've got to drop all this. Jesus didn't say in, in, the, in the greatest commandment ever that we're to seek the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, with all of our strength, even with all of our mind. And he didn't say and treat your neighbor as you want to be treated unless he's not the same color as you or he's from some other culture. He didn't say that. And so, what, 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 and this was tough. Even Peter struggled with this. You know, he was great until he saw, you know, he was hanging out with his Jewish brothers and sisters and the Gentiles showed up. He used to hang with them, but when he was with the people that weren't part of their group, Peter showed that he still went over with the Jewish people like he didn't want to be around the Gentiles and Paul had to call him out. And of course, Paul, as he would often do, didn't apologize for that. He called him out publicly and he said, you're wrong and this is an issue you need to keep working on. And of course, Peter did. We know that. But, but anyway, so right now, Jesus, this is the symbol that now the church age is about to begin. Everybody with me? And in the church age, we now have Jew and Gentile, one body, one church. Praise the Lord for that. Okay, we're the wild branch and we're getting grafted in. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your, for your grace and mercy. And thank you, Father, for sending your son to, to bring us into the fold. Uh, we, we, remember, that I'm the good shepherd. There's also going to be flocks that, that, that are different that are going to hear from me. That's the Gentiles. And so now the Greeks show up, and, and, and this is what's going to, um, to trigger. And, uh, and let, me, let me be clear, because there's some commentary that you, if you decide to read, might confuse you a little bit. Some people try to make this not as big as it was by suggesting that these were just Greek-speaking Jewish people, the Hellenists. It's not. If you look at the, use, the words that John is using, these are ethnic Greeks. Okay, they're Gentiles. They, they are not Jewish people who speak Greek. Uh, they are Gentiles. And, and the reason why we know that is because here comes the signal. It, it, now the hour is here. Uh, so just, just make that note. So anyway, so we get down now to this interesting conversation in 21 and 22. I thought this was funny. Some of the commentary on this was great. So these, these, these Greeks came to Philip 
who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Why Philip? You know what some of the commentary says? Because they think he's a Greek. He's got a, he's got a Greek name. Even though he's fully Jewish, they think, what's this guy's name? Well, that's Philip. Oh, okay, let's go talk to him. It's almost like, let's find somebody with a name that sounds like ours. Maybe we can use that he's got a Greek name and we're Greeks, so and he can usher us on over to see Jesus. Plus, we know, too, Philip's always had this attitude of trying to, trying to be, hey, here's what we need to do. Let everybody get over here. But anyway, they really think it's because of his name. There's no indication why Philip was, was chosen by them. It might have been he was just near them. But that's an interesting commentary anyway. And it says when they say they want to see Jesus... They really are saying, if you look at the Greek word, we want to interview Jesus. They're not just wanting to see him. What they're saying is we'd like to interact with him. We want to talk to him, I guess, to try to find out, hey, if you hear about this guy and you get to, wouldn't you want to interview him? I mean, you wouldn't want to just say, hey, Greeks, we're here. The hour is now. They don't know that. What they're saying is we've heard a lot about Jesus. We're really close. Here's one of his followers. He's got a Greek sounding name. Could you get us an interview with Jesus? We like to sit down and do a little Q&A. We, we kind of want to ask him some questions. So uh, interesting, though, and kind of sad for them, Jesus does not give them that opportunity, apparently. Maybe he did, but Scripture does not document that because all he is looking for, the minute Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went to tell Jesus. Now, somewhere in here, I guess Philip just said, hey, I don't want to go ask Jesus about this by myself. I could almost see me doing that, wouldn't you? You know, like we're sitting there and I'm walking around. I'm like, I got some Greeks over here, Tommy, and, and, and Jesus is over here. They want to talk to him. Well, come, come with me. Let's go ask Jesus together. For some reason, Philip said, I'd like to take somebody with me before I go make this request. So he walks over to Jesus and he makes the request, he and Andrew together, and they told Jesus what was going on. And here we go. In 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Here it is. It's on. Jesus does not seem to respond with the Q&A that's been requested. We don't know that. But he does know as of this moment, Gentile Greeks are now following Jesus. So now it's on. Up to now, the hour has always been in the future. But now the hour has come. Jew and Gentile under the authority of Jesus. One new covenant that includes both. Amen. Praise the Lord for the new covenant. Amen. It's on. So he knows this is a sign from his father. And, uh, and so look, look at 24. Truly, truly, love when Jesus gives us two trulys. That means listen up. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now he's talking about that his death, which is on now, will lead to his glorification. I, it's going to look bad. Like when a seed goes in the ground, what's going to happen? But when I die, when, I'm, when they take my life on that cross, let me tell you what's going to, going to come from this. When I resurrect, I'm going to be glorified. Dying will bring forth a rich harvest. Jesus' glorification is tied to his refusal to seek his own glory. He always does. Remember he told us what? What pleases the Father. None of this is about anything other. Jesus says, my glory will point to the glory of my Father. I, I, I'm here to do whatever. The, and you'll see him when we come in here next week. He'll even talk about, now that I've made these statements, my, my heart is troubled and my soul is troubled. And then he just has to almost give himself a pep talk. But wait a minute, I'm here to do what my Father told me to do. We won't have time for that today, but we'll get it next week. So now look at 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, this is big. Here's our, here's our big challenge today, as if we haven't gotten there yet. Jesus now begins to let his followers know, that's you and me, that death is coming for us as well. And we might be martyred. You might be martyred. You, and, you know, you say martyred, Rick. You think that we might live in America or go somewhere alone? We could be martyred? Maybe. I got news for you. Your devotion to Jesus Christ in this country is becoming more and more unpopular. And what do they say? Hateful. I mean, these people, there was a time when people felt like in this country that the church was a blessing and the answer and even what made us great. But do you see what's happening now? I tell you what's keeping us from being as good as we could be is the church. It's antiquated, outdated, all their standards of marriage and their standards of, of exclusivity of salvation in Jesus and other religions are not on the same level as them. Uh, their hate speech, it's, it's actually hate speech. 
the stuff they say, how the Bible is extremely hateful, it's not very inclusive. Of course, I don't know how they get away from whosoever not being inclusive, but, but, but see, they play with words. This, this is the adversary and how he takes Scripture and twists it and all this kind of stuff. God's standard is not to be celebrated, it's to be reviled. Who is he to tell us what to do? Well, that's been going on for a long time, hasn't it? And so what he's saying is, if you follow me, odds are you'll be persecuted just like I did. And as we know, I've said it a thousand times, but it's important to note that when Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12 to Timothy, all who choose to live a godly life will be persecuted. All will be. Not some, not might be. All who choose to live a godly life will be persecuted. And what's our challenge before us in here, guys? If you're not being persecuted, something's wrong. Hey, I'm not talking about people trying to kill you. But, you know, if, if everybody is just perfectly comfortable with you, hasn't cost you anything, never does, you're always included, everybody loves you, nobody, nobody minds you at all. See, it, may, it, it will always cost you something to follow Jesus. It certainly costs us our sin. Okay? And maybe you loved your sin. You didn't want to lose it. Cost you your sin. Uh, it may cost you relationships. It might cost you family members. It might cost you friends. It might cost you a job. And it could cost you your life. But Jesus is talking about this, but here's what he says. He says that if we understand that death is coming for all of us, he says, and, and, and if you understand that, he said the one whose life that he loves and clings to it. And this has been, I saw this, D.A. Carson made this point. Jesus is making the point, if you're all so obsessed with self-preservation, meaning I love my life, he doesn't mean I appreciate my life. That's not what he's talking about. We should appreciate our life. He's saying if you love your life, meaning like right now, if somebody came into this through this door and says, I'm killing everybody who doesn't denounce Jesus. And you go into self-preservation, well, he didn't want me to die. I mean, God want me to do that. And you just say, I'll denounce him. Can I leave? He says, that person blasphemes God. Self-preservation is, is much more important to you than glorifying God. Now, that doesn't mean we're reckless with our life. He's not talking about that either. What he's talking about is, is your self-preservation the only thing that matters to you? I mean, if people want you to denounce God as all they have to do is threaten you in some way, threaten your life, take something from you. If it's all about preserving you, then guess who has become God? You. Now you think your life is the most important thing above anything. But no, our life is only as good as we glorify God with it. Our life really hasn't been given to us to please us. It's been given to us to glorify God. And he says, so anybody who doesn't have that attitude... And they're going to cling to their life in self-preservation at all costs. That person blasphemes God, and they also blasphemes God's sovereignty of life. Meaning, meaning, hey, do you believe that God's in control? Right? Do you believe that God did say that he wrote down every day you were going to live? Psalms 139, 13 through 16. And the number of your days before you'd ever lived one. When he wove you together in your mother's womb. Do you believe that God has sovereignty over your life? This does not mean that you're reckless with your life. It doesn't mean you don't take care of yourself. It doesn't mean you don't do that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about is your life more important that you keep your life than it is to give it to God. And if it, and if it is, he said, that's blasphemy and you're actually going to lose your life. Why? Because you will likely die uh, for all of eternity because you've worried so much about your life. You didn't worry about your devotion to Jesus. So you probably never experienced uh, uh, true salvation. It elevates self-preservation, and it also creates an idol in ourselves. Focus on self, which is the heart of all sin, isn't it? Self. Every day I've learned to pray. I don't, I, 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 look, I've got enemies that are against me. I've got people who come against me. But you know who I have to lay at the cross every day? My biggest enemy, myself. Lord Jesus, protect me from me. I know Bill Searcy's not here today. I've learned that phrase. He talked about what he went through. I was the same way. He said, the biggest problem I have, everywhere I go, there I am. Everywhere I go, there I am. So, so what he's saying is you, we have to die to self. But the one who hates his life, meaning I, I don't want my, hey, I preserved my life. I preserved my material stuff. I preserved everything. And I'm left with what? Nothing. 
He said, the one who says that their life, if the one who gets like the Apostle Paul and like these guys became after Pentecost, standard goes up after Pentecost. That's another lesson. We've talked about it before. All of them said, if you keep us alive, we keep working for the kingdom. You kill us, we're just with you. To live as Christ, to die as gain. If that's your attitude about your life, he said, that person will actually have his life saved. Because that's the attitude of someone that has been redeemed by Jesus and is so thankful that he's willing to give up his own life just as Jesus gave up his earthly life for us. 26. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, they will honor him. And, and, and this is the same thing. So when you think about serving someone, what does that mean if you're serving someone? That means that you have now, you don't elevate self anymore. He said, if you really want to serve me, then you're, you're, you have to keep a focus on, on where we're going and on eternal life. If anyone serves me, then he must follow me. He must follow me. And what, is, what does Luke tell us in Luke 9? He says, if you're going to follow me, you have to first, what, deny self, pick up your cross daily. That, don't, don't miss that. That's important, guys. You know how I, I look, I, I love men's ministry. You know why? I'm a man. Okay? I, I, I know how y'all operate. I know how you, what makes you tick because I'm one. So I know all the problems you got and I know all the assets you got because I got them. Both, sadly. But here's the point. We've said this so many times. If anything in life is ever going to work, there has to be a commitment to it daily. I can't tell you how many times, look, I've lived it. People come to me and say, I just can't seem to get so-and-so, so-and-so to, I'm just, I just can't make anything change. And you know what I usually find in those people's life, people's life, mine too, they're kick people. They get on kicks. Man, for, for, for a few days, they say, I'm going to do something about my weight. And then they start eating healthy and they start exercising for about three or four days. And then all of a sudden they go two weeks and they go off the wagon. They come out and say, they ain't losing any weight. Well, yeah, I know because you're not committed to doing it every day. You're committed to doing it sometimes. So you know what kind of results you see? Eh, mediocre or frustrating. You're not going anywhere. Anything that's going to change or anything that's going to actually produce anything, Jesus said, when we get up every day, get, get to the point where you can go, I'm a follower of Jesus. Get off this, I'm a believer of Jesus. Demons are believers of Jesus. There's a lot of people believe in Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. He says right here, if you're my servant, you're going to follow me. I follow Jesus. If, it is a game changer in the room. Don't ask anybody if they believe in Jesus. Ask them if they follow Jesus. Some people ask me, say, or, 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 tell me about yourself. Well, I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, well, I, I wish you'd just say Christian or believe in Jesus. No, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. That's a game changer. Everybody knows right then. They go, okay, this, this, this is not said a lot. I've seen a lot of people get up. See, this is the kind of stuff where people can get up on award, show, award shows and live a life of complete debauchery and still get up on an award show and say, I just want to thank God. I just want to thank Jesus. And somewhere, God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit have to be saying, who is this person? Who's this talking about us? We don't know this person. So how do we know they don't know them? Well, look at their life. As, as the man who saved my life said, I can't, I know too much about Jesus to think he's Lord over your life. I know you bring him up when it's culturally appropriate, but you're not a follower of Jesus. Because <coughs> if you were, you wouldn't look the way you look because of him, not you. So if you can get to the point, and I've been working on this lately, eyes open, alarm clock goes off or you wake up on your own. First thing you do, Lord Jesus, thank you for the day. I mean, I'm talking about still in the bed. You don't have to say it out loud if you, you want to wake your wife up or whatever. Just, Lord, thank you for today. I deny myself, Amen. and I pick up my cross, and I'm going to follow you today. And, and, and I don't know how to make this day count for you, but you do, and I'm in sync with you. I'm following you. That's why Jesus in Matthew 7 said that, that those that follow Jesus enter by a narrow gate, right? What gate did Jesus say was, was easy? And why? What, what gate is that, though? Uh, that, what, 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 yeah, destruction. 
<laughs> hey, I'm having an easy time of it going right to hell. It ain't going to be easy then. Right now, he said, it might be in your life if you follow me, you get in a narrow gate and it might be hard. You know, when he says to carry the cross, right? We've talked about that. Everybody in the Roman culture who was going by you, if we're sitting here right now and a guy went by with the cross, we go, huh? That guy's just not being inconvenienced. He's not helping somebody move across. Oh, look at this guy. He's helping somebody move that heavy cross they had in their yard. No, that guy, as he goes by, is going to die. Everyone, the Romans were very good at it. You know, like these, these, these crazy people that somehow think that Jesus didn't die on the cross, like the Romans just kind of got bored and said, I don't know if he's dead or not. Take him down. No, they were really good. Matter of fact, they had a perfect record. Nobody went to the cross and lived. And if you, you saw what they did. If, if they aren't not sure, they just get out of swords and say, well, how about that? You know, break your legs where you can't breathe. Now you can't push up and get a breath anymore. If they got bored, they just killed you quicker. Hey, guys, boy, we're running late. We're not going to make that card game. Break that guy's legs. Let's get me done with this. Well, or stick a sword in him, something. Let's go. I mean, we got to get, we're going to miss it. They, they didn't just let people, they didn't let people just come take somebody off the cross who wasn't dead. I mean, that's insane. Okay, so, so when you saw somebody going by with a cross, and they wanted you to see them. They want you to see it. You know why? Because they say, here's what happens when you mess with us. So Jesus says for us to get up, deny ourselves, and die every single day. Because until I die, Jesus can't use me. And that's the reason why he's loved me enough, because I'm so arrogant, I'm so prideful, and I'm so self-reliant that he did whatever he had to do to me to take those things away. Because he loves me, not because he hates me. Jesus could have left me self-reliant to my doom. I was raised to be self-reliant. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with being responsible. Nothing wrong with being a hard worker. Certainly, Bible says, the Bible says for us to be good providers. Nothing wrong with that. But self-reliance is actually a sin. It's a sin. It's a sin we don't talk about a lot, but it's a sin. Now, we're supposed to be devoted to Jesus Christ, and we submit and serve Him, and then we have Him make us into what we should be. And only He can do it. So just wake up. Start doing this every day based on what Jesus just said. I'm awake. Lord, thank you for this day. You, I'm still alive, so I guess there's stuff I need to do today. Okay? Help me to deny myself and help me to pick up my cross and die today and follow you. And you do that every day. Because he's, why should we do it every day? Because he said to. Those are the, if you want to follow me, and here he is saying right here, he's saying, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will be my servant also. I love that when we get to Acts chapter 4. Remember we studied Acts? And they saw the boldness of these uneducated fishermen who at one time had run from Jesus. One ran out of his clothes, John. Peter was afraid of a woman by the fire, a young woman. Starts cursing, saying, I don't know Jesus. But what happened when we get to Acts chapter 4? They recognized they'd been with Jesus. Where I am, see, my servants will be also. So when people, if people saw your life, would they say, eh, they've been with Jesus? You can tell. Why? Because you got Jesus all over you. I can tell by the way this person acts. He must belong to Jesus. Because you know what he says? You can say you're my servant, but if you don't end up where I am, you probably aren't. Because he says, my servant be found where I am. Well, what does a servant do? <laughs> we go with who we're serving. You know, if you're a servant, you don't get to tell whoever you're serving, hey, I'm going to think I'm going to go down this way. You're going over there. No, I'm, the servant goes wherever the Lord tells you to go because where he is. And hey, he paid a pretty big price for us. So we belong to him. We belong to the King of Kings. And what he says here at the end, he says, if anybody serves me, then the Father will honor him. That's one of, those, that's one of those things that you look at the Bible and you're like, I, I, see, I see an if here. Well, that if, whew, it's a little tiny word. It didn't happen two letters. But man, it's a big one. If is big. Look through Scripture and start noticing all the ifs. If, if anyone serves me, so if I don't serve you, well, then the Father didn't honor you. 
Why do you think Jesus gives us this speech about anyone who, who professes me in front of men, mankind, I will also acknowledge before the Father. Anybody who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before the Father. Anyone who does not acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge before the Father. Rick, you talk about earning salvation. No, I'm not talking about that at all. Don't ever put words into my mouth. I'm reading you the Bible, and the Bible is not talking about earning salvation, but the Bible sure is talking about proof of salvation. It talks about that a lot. See, that, that's where you get into that thing, how do we ever know the sincerity of someone's heart? Just watch them. <laughs> Just watch them. How do we know if somebody's saved? You'll see. I hate to keep using this man-made global warming example, but it's one of the best ones I have right now. <laughs> Prince Charles says he believes that if we don't make major adjustments on carbon emissions in 10 years, we're all doomed. We're going to destroy the very planet in which we now live. And he said he wanted to meet God love her, Greta Thunberg, the, the little girl who has, you know, is in the autism spectrum that a bunch of crazy evil adults are scaring to death, okay? He says he wants to meet this young lady that is being used to save the world. And he gets on an airplane and he puts out carbon emissions all the way to see her. Why did he just call her? Just call her. I mean, if the world is about to end, if we don't reduce carbon emissions, you can tell the girl, good job, without going. We have something called telephones. How about a conference call? How about you want to do a video chat? You can see her, and you can stay right where you are. So when I see that, what, what's the only conclusion I can come to? He don't really believe that. He didn't really believe it. So when we say, yes, sir, I, hey, I love Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the most important thing, most important thing in my life. Do people see you getting on an airplane and flying and putting out carbon emissions? Or do they see you saying, just watch me, you'll see that I mean it? Or do they watch your life and go, hmm, that sounded good, but I certainly don't see any evidence of it. Looks just like the rest of the people I know. I can't tell the difference in this guy who says that he loves Jesus and the guy who told me he doesn't. They, they kind of have the same priorities. They have the same reaction to adversity. They've got the same everything. Well, see, that, that's really bad because, see, Prince Charles, his, his, his behavior may cause me to die because I don't believe in man-made global warming and I'm not doing anything about it. Because he tells me that we're going to die in 10 years if we don't do anything, but he's not doing anything. So you know what I think? Nothing to be concerned about. So when we walk around selling the power of the gospel really, really low and people don't really see us as being transformed by Jesus, it may cost them their life because they say, I looked at them and it looked like the standard of salvation was really, really low. They don't seem to really have any kind of urgency about it. Everything must be okay. And then when that person dies or frantically try to remember anything that might indicate that they were saved. Maybe we should have worried about that before they died. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for this message. Thank you for this, this incredible news of going back and remembering, Lord Jesus, what you, here you are going to the cross. I, we're thankful today you've already been to the cross. You've already risen from the tomb. And Lord, we're watching at the day that you declared that our hope was now in action. Lord, thank you for, for working through the difficulty of the 100% man side of you to be obedient to the 100% God side of you. And may we follow your example and say to the Father that his will be done in our life, not ours. Maybe you're watching this, listening to this, and you say, you know what? I'm like the emailer, Rick. I, I'm not just, you know, kind of off track. I've never... I can't acknowledge in my life that I've ever been redeemed. I need to be reconciled to the Father. Well, the Bible tells us that only you know the sincerity of your heart and only God knows the sincerity of your heart. But it does say in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you believe in your heart, only you and God know that. And you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, him talking about you becoming his servant, 
You acknowledge him now as authority. You turn and repent. Say, I know that I, I have sinned. I, I've heard Jesus paid for my sin on the cross. Hey, Jesus, I'd like to accept that. I acknowledge you as my Lord and authority, but I also acknowledge you as my Savior. I want to turn from sin. Will you please forgive me, Lord Jesus? The Bible tells us if your heart is sincere that he will. And then, and then, and then it goes on to tell us that you, you know, we believe in the resurrection. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you didn't just defeat my, my sin. Thank you for that. You also have, in, have, have defeated the result of sin, and that's eternal death, by offering me eternal life. Jesus, I want to take that gift and, and just say thank you. And maybe you're somebody, you know, I remember being there. Hey, Lord Jesus, I've heard today how much you love me, but I don't really know enough yet. But today I want you to redeem me and then you teach me how to love you. And then as I begin to love you, the Bible tells me I'll begin to obey you. But today, Lord, I just want to start with forgive me, redeem me, reconcile me to my Holy Father and cleanse me of all sin. In the name of Jesus, if you've prayed that prayer, we're here to help you. We'll help you take the next step. We can help you walk. We can help you grow. If you have any questions, you can contact me, Rick at rickandbubba.com. I'd love to talk to you. And Lord, thank you for this day. And if anybody has made these types of decisions anywhere in the world today, Lord, uh, if I need to be part of that, I'm happy to. If it's just between you and them, that's fine too. Help them to find those that can help them walk and they can begin to grow. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.